Bill Meeks, and as part of my editing process, I'm recording this draft of my novel, Dog Boy, Den of Thieves, as an audiobook. Or at least I did. Dog Boy, aka Bronson Black, is Colta City's 13-year-old superhero. When his parents die in a car accident, he's left in the custody of his mysterious Uncle Randolph. Using his magic kit and a strange precognitive power, he protects the city from Andrus and his guild of thieves. Along the way, he befriends Cindy McNeil, a wannabe reporter with a secret of her own, and Mr. Horam, his boss at the old curiosity shop. When the guild captures Dog Boy, he must decide whether to join them or take them down once and for all as he embraces his destiny as one of the good guys. Dog Boy, Den of Thieves by Bill Meeks. Episode 12, The Book Guys. Hey everybody, it's Roberto Villegas. I know you're normally used to seeing me do my usual podcast stick and all that fun stuff, but today I'm doing something very special. I am interviewing my good, good friend, Mr. Bill Meeks, accomplished published author of Dog Boy, and I forget the rest of the Guild of Thieves part. Den of Thieves. Den of Thieves. Thieves. Thank you. He fights the Guild of Thieves. That's what it is. The book is Den of Thieves. But before we even get into the interview proper, um, I recently just finished the book, and I gotta ask something really, really quick. Okay. Is it just me, or was there? And 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 I I apologize. There's anything spoilery. I'm gonna try my best to keep down the spoilery stuff and, and keep it down to a very bare minimum. But if I do get a little out there, people, I apologize. In advance, I'm just doing this because I read the book and I finally get. To, I, it's rare that I get to talk to an author first and foremost, and it's rare that I get to talk to an author who I just finished reading a book. And it's even more rare that I get to have a friend who's author. In fact, I only have like two. Maybe if you count Brian, I have like three friends who are authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, Brian, and my good friend Mario, and that's about it. So it's rare that I get to go. Yeah, what, what was this, this symbolism? What does this mean? What does that mean? So the opening question I'll ask specifically on the book that I need to get out of my my head. Is it just me, or was there like an anonymous, like, parallel to the Guild of Thieves at certain points? Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was very influenced by a, a little uh, by anonymous, and also also by uh, kind of some of the fringe parts of. Uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement. I, I mean, we'll probably talk a little bit about the history of the project, and it, I, it's been brewing for several years. The inception of the Guild of Thieves happened, you know, several years ago when the story uh, was created. The initial plot was created, but I, I definitely, uh, throughout the course of writing the novel, took a lot of inspiration from Anonymous, a couple of other little fringe hacker groups online, <laughs> and uh, you know the Occupy Wall Street movement for for, for a lot of uh, the wording and the recruitment techniques, things like that. Yeah, well, that's actually not. You know, we'll, let's well, we're going to table all that. I just I had to get it out of my system now because mm-hmm. it just popped in my head as looking at the book. But let's actually kind of go back in time. Let's go back. You said this obviously has been brewing brewing in your head for a while. Mm-hmm. When did you get the idea to do the whole, you know, I'm going to make a superhero book for kids, for lack of better words, or for young adults, I should say? Mm-hmm. Well, you see, that is a fairly recent development in the, in the epic story of uh, – Okay. Well, let's go further back. Was there a point in time mm-hmm. that you were – like, when did you make the – okay, let's first and foremost say, when did you get the idea for Dog Boy? Like, when did this come up in the, in the idea of, like, was it just, you know what, I really want to make a superhero book, or was it that, you know what, I've had this I- idea, like, where did this all gestate? Was it just in, in your interest in comics, or was there simply something else that, like, triggered it? 
Well, I mean, definitely uh, a lot of my interest in comics uh, was involved, but it started uh, about 10 years ago, I think in May. Uh, it w- I wrote a short story uh, for uh, one of my writing classes in college called Primitive Hearts. Okay. Uh, where, where basically a, uh, a kid named Wiley Esperanza uh, gets a cheap mask and uh, ties a sheet around his neck right, and goes right. around his neighborhood fighting crime. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed the concept and everything of kind of like this uh, – uh, kid who wanted to be a superhero but uh, didn't have you know necessarily the skills to put the whole package together but went ahead and did it anyway and came up with kind of a crappy version of a superhero. <laughs> and uh, then I, about eh, a year later, something like that, Marvel uh, opened up a line of comics called Epic Comics, which was indie, and they had open submission. So I took the short story and I rewrote it as a comic book script. Uh, uh, same basic plot, suburban kid, you know, going around the neighborhood fighting crime. And uh, I, I sent it in and, you know, we had some meetings and stuff like that. And uh, they, they, they basically gave me a little bit of money and they had a, an option on it or an option to develop right. it uh, for a little bit. And it passed. They didn't do anything with it. It came back to me. And I was into screenwriting by that point. I, out in L- I was out in L.A. working as a script reader at Acme Literary, uh, you know, doing coverage and stuff for screenplays. Right, right, right. And uh, trying to make my own way as a screenwriter. And I decided to go ahead and take this dog boy concept and kind of flesh it out into a full story. Right. I, I, so uh, basically I wrote a screenplay uh, from it, which is the basic story from the book. Uh, but I, the book is a lot more detailed, and I, th- I think a lot better, honestly, because you know I have seven or eight years more. Well, yeah, you have, well, you, well, even in a book, you have more time to do things that you don't necessarily mm-hmm. get in the script, especially when it comes to developing a character. And since you are essentially doing what everybody has to do when they make their their first their superhero, and every comic book writer seems to do no matter what, even though using an existing hero, is essentially make the origin story. Uh, and, yeah. And, and you did it in a very interesting way. Like it's rare that um, when it comes to these sort of stories that I will see the origin story involved. I mean, yes, there's certain tropes that happen and, and we won't get into all those details because that would be a bit spoilerific. Um, but it's interesting to see sometimes you're tilting the trope on its side and, and, and doing something different with it. Um, specifically with Dog Boy and, and sort of how – because you don't start with him as like, oh, at birth he's this. Like you start with him pretty much at, at the age we see him at. Like you don't, you don't go too far in. And even when it comes to his origin story, there's not like a whole lot of lag time. There's not like like with the Bruce Rant- Wayne where his parents die as he's a kid and then he's an adult. He becomes Batman. This is more of, you know, this action happens and now he's Dog Boy. And sort of, you know, the same age group. That, that was it always going to be a kid, or was it was there some point where it's going to be someone a little bit older or a little bit more mature? I, I actually, uh, you know, from the original concept, I did age him up a bit. He was originally eleven years old, and I, in in the book now he's thirteen. By the next uh, story, he'll be fourteen. Okay, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I always thought thought it would be a good idea for it to be a kid, and I, I definitely, you know, I, I made a concerted effort to kind of get the entire origin story and get him in the suit uh, in his first uh, outing against an adversary w- within the first few chapters. Okay, and, so it was always your, your point to make sure that mm-hmm. some type of – because that was the one thing I did, I did notice that, I, again, if – 
for those who are kind of curious about Dog Boy, to kind of give it, in fact, maybe we should give a, a spiel of what Dog Boy is, because I, I know some of the guys who are listening either on, on since this will kind of be one of those very rare simul, simultaneous broadcast podcasts, both on, <laughs> on Bill Meeks's uh, Dog Boy, uh, po- uh, I guess, podcast, like a better words, and of course, yeah. Ape, like my conversational interview podcast. Give a quick, you know, elevator pitch. Like, let's say I'm on the elevator, right? It's you and I, man, and I'm like, Ah, you know, I've been hearing about this dog boy thing. I've been hearing about this book. I mean, I'm saying, and you're like, oh, yeah, I wrote this book. I go, really? You wrote a dog boy? Well, what the heck is it about? Okay, well, I would, I would of course, start off with the this meets that uh, comparisons. It's Oliver Twist meets Stanley Spider-Man or okay. Hardy Boys meets Kick-Ass. I'm in. <laughs> I'm still in. Go on. Okay. 13-year-old kid, Bronson Black, moves to Colta City after his parents die. He's left to his uh, mischievous, mysterious Uncle Randolph, and he uh, comes uh, from you know small town to a big city, fights crime, works at a magic shop, and kind of tries to find himself as he fights the Guild of Thieves, a subterranean uh, group that is trying to take over the city. Which, by the way... <laughs> I won't say, you know, any spoilers, but, man, Uncle Randolph was a dick. I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. if, that, if that's going to get bleeped on, on, the, on the clean podcast, but I know, there is great. no other way to describe that guy. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and he was, like, rough from the minute, which, what, what gave, uh, drew you to do the whole, like, Cinderella approach to that character? I mean, I know why, in the end, what happens and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But why go so much like the, the, the ugly, you know, the ugly aunt or the ugly uncle in this case, just like the, like the, the mean stepmother almost figure with, with uh, Uncle Randolph? Like what – was it just pers- – was there something personal in your life that did it or was that you needed something to push a character along? Well, I mean obviously uh, you, you always bring your personal experiences into whatever you write. I, the, the cruel- was there an uncle that touched you? I'm just <laughs> there kidding. was not. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, but no, the cruelty of Uncle Randolph and stuff, uh, you know, it definitely sourced from various authority figures and stuff I've had in my life. And uh, I, I definitely I, – I, I, I knew I could write it well because, one, I knew what it was like to be a kid in those kind of situations where someone's not being nice to you. Plus I, I thought and, – and, you know, it, it, it would be getting a little spoilery towards the end and stuff. But he definitely uh, – there was a reason he was being. Oh yeah, and, I, and you see that in the end, and it's just, mm-hmm. it was just wow. It was like, like hi, I'm, I'm Uncle Randolph. Pleasure to see you, boy. Then we get back back home, and it, it is all, it is like one step above just a backslap every moment. Like it is, it is you know Cinderella, Cinderella, night and day, Cinderella, except you know replace Cinderella with uh, Bronson. Um, yeah. And it was like it was such a almost heart heart wrenching kind of thing. Because there'd be points in in there mm-hmm. that you would kind of feel for the kid just being kind of put in that situation of not being able to really do anything. And there's even a point in time where where you know where he said almost says something and like it slips because he's just at that point like completely fed up. Mm-hmm. And and even then that no one really hears him. And it's like wow, that would just like just be the worst thing on the planet. Just to be this kid stuck in this kind of terrible situation, we should probably kind of phase back a bit and ask why, why the dog motif? Like why, why, why that first and foremost? So there's a couple of motifs in the book that I, I do have questions on. One of them being 
dog boy. I mean, obviously, we've had many other uh, animal-inspired, um, you know, uh, I guess it's superheroes, Batman from the DC world, Spider-Man, obviously, yeah. an animal. But, you know, some type of form of, of non-human inspiration. Where did the dog one come from? Like, was there more to it than simply just a name, or you know? Well, honestly, I, have, have you ever seen the uh, interview, the the taped interview that they released, uh, where Kevin Smith sits down in a comic shop with Stan Lee and talks yep. about the creation of all the Marvel superheroes? Yep. yep. Uh, well, St- Stan Lee was talking about you know all those various characters that have like an animal or an insect in their name, and he was like, you know, Spider Man just really popped, you know. And uh, I, I thought, well, if I was 11 years old, what would I think would be really, really cool and sound really ferocious and really intimidating? And it would be like Dog Boy. Well, it would be Dog Man, but I'm a boy. <laughs> so it might have to be Dog Boy. And yeah, that's a, you know, a, a lot of uh, the the practical stuff that uh, Dog Boy does as a superhero. I, I I basically tried to work it to be just like a really crappy version. I that would be good enough for uh, you know a thirteen year old just trying to be a superhero. Well, the yeah. thing is that you 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 give him some interesting concepts. I mean, beyond just the dog idea of that, it's there's the magic involved. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of, of of supernatural magic involved. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I I've been saying there's. I've been saying saying there's Harry Houdini and Harry Potter magic. Well, because there is, but I mean, even even certain other things are involved. Like at what point um, before kind of things kick off, uh, Bronson interacts with a cup with a bunch of kids who are doing who are essentially you know roll you know you know almost essentially roof running or, or doing some weird things. Like, what are you guys doing there? And they go, we're doing parkour. He's like, what's parkour? Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes into that and, and puts that in, which I thought was really kind of cool because. It's when always it comes like your superhero things. Like I always think of the Spider-Man movie um, that came out. You kind of see them playing with their powers, but you don't see them like, oh, and, and like 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 it's such a weird. It's always a montage, and like in five minutes, in like you know, in the span of an hour at the most, they're they're already you know whipping across you know New York and doing other things like that. But what I liked about Dog Boy is that a we saw where he kind of got his is that that superhero movement now, which if you were to put in the real world, yeah, that would be parkour. There's no, there's no answers or buts about it. And then when you see him kind of doing that, executing on it, you know, he scrapes up a bit and hurts himself the first time to go around, but eventually kind of gets into it. And mm-hmm. it's, it adds again, a weird, uh, interesting kind of thing. This also kind of leads into another concept. Why the magic motif? I mean, and, and, and it's, and I say that as, as a funny part, because I was, I was reading the book, uh, there's a point in the book, and I, I got to mention this now because it's something that I laughed at, and I only laughed at because I think I know where you got the inspiration from. Where we see Bronson in a magic store, and the guy is explaining a deck to a deck of cards to him, and it's a Svengali deck, and I'm laughing because like I was literally helping Brian a couple days ago, and I packed a lot of those decks. I'm like, I bet you, Brian, <laughs> I bet you, Bill got this. It was inspired from Brian on this one. Well, see, actually, I, I oh, you, no. you know you're. You're talking about our friend Brian Brushwood, right? Uh, right. But but it, it actually wasn't inspired by Brian. They where the magic, the, the Harry okay. Houdini magic came in. My my father, and uh, this is something that uh, some people might not know. He was actually a magician. Oh wow! I didn't. Uh, know. Yeah, yeah. He was a circus magician. Uh, okay. I, 
I, I've heard he worked for Ringling Brothers, but I've also heard that, that he might have just worked for like a touring carnival. Uh, it's kind of unclear. But uh, it, it, anyway, so he was a magician. And when I was a kid, uh, he left me a, a black suitcase or left us a black satchel with a bunch of magic tricks in it. Right. I, I, I among the tricks, uh, flash paper and uh, a couple of other things that make an appearance in the trunk that Bronson gets. And right. that's basically uh, where I got the idea. Because, w- uh, okay, um, real life <laughs> inspiration time. Yeah. I, the the okay, uh, this is really embarrassing, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it because I I've, I've been thinking I, I have to tell this. <laughs> uh, basically, when I was eight years old, I you went on okay, but this is I, let me let me see where this is going to go. Mm-hmm. When you were eight years old, you were not just simply Bill Meeks. Mm-hmm. You were Bill the Magnificent. Uh, I don't think I called myself <laughs> Magnificent, but okay. So I took. My my dad, uh, you know, he he passed away before I was born, but he left us this uh, trunk with, or this bag with magic tricks in it. Right. And when I I I might not have been eight, I might have been like eight or nine, ten somewhere in there. I can't remember exactly. But we lived down in Katy, Texas, and I there were these boys at the uh, basketball court who who wouldn't let me play basketball with them, and it, it, they were older boys. It kind of, of burned me a little, right? And uh, so that day I, I went back and I got like a piece of fabric that my mom had in her sewing kit, cut some eye holes in it, tied and made like a really bad Zorro mask with like fringes <laughs> everywhere and everything and tied a cape on and then snuck out in the middle of the night and went down to the basketball court with the bag of tricks like flash paper and stuff to try and scare the boys. And they, they were actually down there. They were like 14, 15 year old boys. They were down there smoking, <laughs> playing basketball and stuff like right. that. And they chased me off. And they, they, that, I mean, it's a very anticlimactic end to the thing, but it was my first time sneaking out, you know, in the middle of the night. At least you didn't get your ass kicked. Let's just say that. At least you didn't get yourself hurt. Yeah, it, it, at least it wasn't like Bronson in the beginning. But yeah, so you're, you're taking some inspiration. But the thing is, you are right. You're taking some inspiration from, I mean, every author always pulls from the real life, no matter what they say. Mm-hmm. And, and hearing that kind of story then really solidifies why certain things were the way they were. I mean, the book opens up with Bronson getting the snot being out of him by a bully, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, happens in life, and that's, that's it's terrible. Uh, but what I like about it, what I do like about the demo, again, what I love about the book itself, uh, if I, you know, again, granted, I'm, it's a demo's not my demographic. It's definitely made for young adults, and the language is the shows, which is not a bad thing. It's just, that's what it is. But what I enjoy about it um, from a that kind of perspective is that there is – Essentially, two you know forms of thought in the book, um, and, and this won't spoil anything. This this one because this is in the first couple of pages. Uh, but there's a point where Bronson says his, his father, um, I guess I just wasn't lucky enough or something like that. And Bronson's like, "Hold on, son. We, we what do what do we what do we say? You know, we don't. We there is no such thing as luck. We make our own. The idea that you make your own path, you do your own thing. You are you know." whatever faults happen in the world are your own mm-hmm. flip on, on the flip side. We have the guild of thieves, which not to you know, say too much, but already talking about the idea of anonymous. At one point we see the um, main villain Andros, which I kept thinking of star Fox with the whole thing. Sorry. <laughs> I kept thinking like Andros's enemy is my enemy. Um, yeah. not that, I'm being, I'm being jokingly because it just kept from the head. Um, <laughs> 
But the thing he says at one point when he's talking to his sort of flock, for lack of better words, he goes on to say something along the lines of, up there, they have ruined everything. They have, you know, squandered that, and they are the evil dregs of that. In other words, the idea that somebody else is to blame for my problem versus we've made our own problems, deal with it kind of thing. And I, and I, I dug that a lot. Was that, was that the idea to make sure Dog Boy had this sort of ethical code? Of, I mean, obviously it probably was, but was it purposeful when, when you have like, – like, I guess – Here's the question. Did you come up with the, the hero first and then try to figure out a villain that makes sense for that hero? Or did you come up with the hero and villain simultaneously? Or was it just some other kind of process? Because, I mean, the villain is, like I said, it is almost, it is pretty much the mirror image to our, our hero. And granted, that's usually the case. Mm-hmm. But, like, how did you come up with that idea of, it, of, of an Andros and the Guild of Thieves? Was it just the first thing that came to mind? Was there something else, you know, solidifying that? Well, uh, from, a, from a philosophical uh, standpoint, what you're talking about, the whole uh, we make our own luck line that uh, shows right. up a couple times and, you know, is one of the big lessons uh, Bronson's yeah. dad leaves him with before he's out. Um, I guess, well, in, that's fair to say because uh, it's on the back of the book. Yeah, his parents <laughs> die in the first couple okay. chapters. I've been, trying to, I've been trying to avoid, like, going too in-depth of, like, <laughs> well, this happened in this book yeah. and, oh, principal is, is this guy and – you know, watch out for this so-and-so and Cindy here. I mean, you know, anyways, try to avoid things like that. Yeah, but anyways. Uh, the, the we make our own luck thing, it, it was really uh, pretty much a situation. Uh, it, when I wrote the original screenplay, I, I was uh, 20, I, 24, 25. I had just uh, – well, I had moved to Philadelphia and then Los Angeles all within the course of a little over a year. Right. And I, I was trying to figure out my way in the world and – I was realizing how many people just kind of projected or like blamed other people for their problems. And I I was kind of trying to come to terms with that and trying to figure out where I was with that whole concept of fate versus, you know, controlling your own destiny. Uh, Philosophically, I was I was at that point in my head. So it shows up a lot in the script. Uh, as far as like a practical how I came up with Andrus and the Guild of Thieves, uh, basically I was in Philadelphia. I was working on the script and I was writing the R100 in from uh, – or out to Bryn Mawr, uh, which is where my girlfriend at the time lived. And we got st- stuck in the subway tunnel and right. I noticed like this weird little – back way going back through with work lights and stuff. And I was listening to uh, an REM song. I can't remember what it was called, but it was talking about like underground and all this. Okay, stuff. I I'll play, this well, you, you weren't listening to shiny, happy people. <laughs> no, no. But, and to give you an idea of uh, about uh, where I was in the story uh, or breaking the story for the screenplay, when this happened, it, it was a uh, rate around when I was writing the scene with the cowboy in the parking garage. The chapter is actually called Cowboy in the Parking Garage. Right, right. Uh, and I was tr- trying to think of uh, uh, some, th- some sort of solid, you know, philosophical idea I could have Dog Boy fighting against. And I was in the subway, and we got stopped, and I saw the service tunnel, and I was like, wouldn't it be cool if there was, like, a whole so- secret society back there? And uh, they, that, that's where the idea came from. And actually, uh, a lot of, like, the environment and stuff of their hideout down in the subway tunnels uh, came from uh, – I read a couple of really good articles over the past couple of years about uh, the underground uh, societies that have built up in Las Vegas, the homeless – the groups of uh, yeah, yeah. people who, who take up in the sewers and stuff like that. And there's actually 
There's a pretty uh, monumental chapter uh, that involves a flood yes. uh, through through the guild's uh, hideout. And that was uh, directly inspired by an event that happened in Los Angeles. Oh, interesting. Wow. I mean, where, where a lot of those was, people got flushed That was also pretty, pretty horrifying at times. Uh, kind of going back to the book thing, this is also something that bugged me that I, I, I feel I need to ask now. Uh, for those who have not started reading the book, you will notice this right off the bat. And maybe it's not. I got to first make sure. Uh, because I'll, I'll be honest, I got an advanced version of the book. I, I, I have before everyone got it because Bill's like, "How did like, you get yeah. it leaked?" I don't know. I, I know. I, I I may know the author of the book, and he may have wanted me to do this whole interview thing. And, you know, <laughs> things may have been planned because if you happen to listen to the last episode of this whole podcast or whatever, you might have heard it mentioned. Um, but anyways, in each one of the uh, chapters I had, now let me make sure this is actually in the official version. Were the summary title headers also in um, the full version as well? where it says, like, what's going to happen in the chapters. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. That was uh, – when I first read it, I almost thought, like, this was done by accident. I'm not even going to lie. Because, uh, granted, it doesn't spoil everything. It doesn't give you that. It gives you sort of a taste of what's going to happen. Out of curiosity, why do that? Because that's one thing – like, very few authors mm-hmm. – authors will do something before that. They'll put a quote in or they'll do something yeah. else. It's rare that they'll give you, here's what you need to know for this chapter. Mm-hmm. Is there, like, a reason for that or was it just yeah. – you know, and uh, what you're talking about is basically at the front of every chapter, there's uh, basically one short fragmented sentence for yeah. every scene in the chapter, kind of a summary of what happens in it. And the reason I did that was I, I was kind of operating on the, the idea of doing like a comic book cover because, you know, on a comic book cover, you get a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in the yeah. comic, but it's enticing and it's exciting. And uh, to be quite honest, I also – I lifted it um, from <laughs> a book called uh, It's Superman by Tom DeHaving. The comic book uh, uh, idea, the comic book cover idea is my own, but I lifted the uh, the practice of it uh, from right, Superman right. by Tom DeHaven. Although I guess it's uh, it was used in uh, Around the World in 80 Days and a few other uh, classic. It, it was used more back in the past. Right, right, of course. But I just thought it was a really good – like when I was reading the It's Superman book, I really enjoyed them because, you know, if I was getting really bored with the chapter or something, I could just flip ahead and I could look at those summaries and I could be like, oh, wait a second. There's going to be giant robots in the next chapter. I have to keep going. And it was well, also kind of cool just to s- skip around and kind of get an idea of where the story was going to go to kind Kind of help you appreciate the journey a little more too. Well, yeah, no, it was interesting because again, it wouldn't give away everything. Like it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It, it was like a not even a cliff notes because it didn't give off any like the major like like the thematics or anything like that. It wasn't like and then this and Dog Boy learns a valuable lesson on on cruelty or something like that. <laughs> or, you know, and Dog Boy betrays his his, his former lover or something. Which doesn't have the former lover. Wow, there is no former lover. Um, but. It does get. It did. It was kind of like a little, little jarring not, not at first because I, I was used to. It. I was like, oh, I hope Bill didn't like. I hope Bill wasn't. You know, this was just for that. But then I got used to it and kind of got like, okay, there's a summary. I would and and only personally, just because I didn't want to have anything more spoiled, I would kind of just slightly glance over it and glance quickly back down the page because I, I wanted to keep reading. Uh, and there were other points. What I also liked about the book was that sometimes when it came to some of the characters' backstories that weren't dog boy proper, that weren't in the main thread. I liked how they were um, sort of introduced. Like one of the um, Guild of Thieves members that I, that I adore, that I kind of hope gets his own like way cooler, like like, like if, you, if, ever, if ever there's a side story or if anyone wants to make that fan fiction story that's just really, really, really 
like this is the young adult version. This is like the the R-rated, you know, William not William S. Burroughs, but just like the crazy violent version. I want to see Osborne in something else. Oh, Osborne! Uh, I really Osborne. I love that guy. He was he uh, Osborne. For those who have not read the book, uh, I don't want to spoil too much with this, but Osborne sort of this. Um, think of like the most gentlemanly English guy, <laughs> like like the gentleman thief. And what I like about who's a demolitions expert, like I want to see this guy. Like, he, like, and the funny thing is, I just got done like watching uh, recently again Ocean's Eleven, and and I already had that in my head a basher and things like that. I really want to see an Osbert book. I really want to see this guy. Like, where you know, because I because the way the way you kind of introduce the backstory is it's as if we found his autobiography lying on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he he's he's writing his autobiography. Right. Of course. It's, but it's, it's like we found him in the ground, and, and it's like, who the heck was this guy? And I like that that was the way you transitioned to him, um, because it was just sort of like, oh, that's weird. But I like this. Uh, I kind of want to hear more of his story. Like, out of all the villains, I would love to hear more of his 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 adventures and exploits prior to meeting Dog Boy and prior to sort of getting where we are now. Because I can imagine him just. Getting unhinged. Is, is it wrong for me? To, I mean, because again, you're the author. You're the one that, that knows this. But there's a part of me that that because he was so reserved as a, as a villain. Again, he's not even a main villain. But because he wasn't, he's like a henchman, outs- right? But because he wasn't outspoken, but because he reserved himself, there was that air of mystery that I was like, this guy is someone you don't want to screw with. This is somebody that if if he was calling the shots. Things would be even crazier. <laughs> and I don't know, but he, he gave me a little not a Joker kind of thing, but he was. You, you'd see that he'd be again, it, it, like everybody would be like, "I'll pulverize him. I'll do this." Oh, young chap, um, look, you don't want to do that because if not, I'm gonna, you know, um, bloody you to a, you know, a, a pulp. Like he, he, he would, he would kill you, but he yeah. would do it in such a polite, posh way that you're like, you know what? I got, I, I, I look, I died to a John. So you, you would have to admire the craftsmanship of exactly. <laughs> Like, and speaking of that, like, how did you get the inspiration for a lot of your guild, your, your guild of thieves uh, people? I mean, because, you know, a guild implies there are multiple people who won't go into saying all the names where I just said one because I really dug the character. But we have, a, you know, sort of a cowboy-esque figure at one point. We have uh, Blaze the Cowboy. Yeah, Blaze the Cowboy, which I like the name. Uh, we have, um, let's see, we have, uh, was it Hot John? Was it Hot John? Or? Hot John. Hot John. Yeah, yeah. Hot John. Uh, we have, of course, Andros, the main leader. We've got uh, Osbert, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I think got a female there as well. But I can't yeah, remember. Sister Francine. Or Thank just you. Francine. Right. Actually, if you, look at the, uh, if you look at the cover art here, oh, you can no. see right here, Francine was here. Oh, that's awesome. I did not notice that. I, again, I had the, the digital version. So I, didn't, I, I had the book. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had the cover even. That yeah, book. Uh, we should mention the cover art, too, done by a wonderful uh, British artist named Paul uh, Loudon. He, he also just did, I guess, for a magazine over there, uh, a portrait of Rocket Raccoon from Guardians oh, of the Galaxy. Wow. No, he, like, he did a great job. Like, like the, the artwork is fantastic. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to spoil things. I know I'm going a little bit more now because it's, we're getting towards a – the, the meat of this sort of thing. And, and anyways, back to, so we have a whole cast of characters in, in the Guild of Thieves. How did you come up with sort of, I mean, obviously you have your main villain, Andros, and, and what he represents and things like that. How did you come up with the ensemble that, that, that goes with them? Was it just, you, you just, because it wasn't, there were some that would follow tropes, mm-hmm. but not, but you even had justifications for it. Like even with Blaze, you justified why he was a cowboy in yeah. like, 
the middle of, of essentially, you know, you know, ur- an urban setting that there would be no cowboy in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, actually, the justification for that was named after a friend of ours. Uh, he, he he was an employee at a theme park called Curly World. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, and, and you know he he got fired, but he kept the costume. Right, which is like the which is like the oh, that's what people do sometimes. Like, well, I got fired, I guess I made the costume. But like, how does yeah. and so like, but how did you get to the point where like, like you had mm-hmm. was it that the, that when you got your main villain, did you just go? all right, I'm going to pick the most ridiculous things I can think of because mm-hmm. who cares? Or was there a certain like thematic reason why you had, you know, well, these cast of characters? Re- really? Again, it, it, it goes back to the kind of source material. Cause they, a lot, a lot of the feeling, especially for the first half of the book, I tried to source from Stan, specifically Stan Lee's first 50 issues or so of the amazing Spider-Man kind of like that feeling of like, Oh, you see Peter Parker go and put his book bag on the roof when he goes down to deal with stuff in a secret identity right, so right. his costume doesn't get found. All that kind of like practical minutia of superherodom, I kind of, kind of tried to source. So I wanted to kind of uh, take some inspiration for that from that from the villains too. And the the main henchmen, uh, Hot John, Osbert, and uh, Blaze the Cowboy, uh, were kind of modeled on uh, I, I believe they're called the Enforcers. Okay. Which, uh, Fancy Dan and I, I can't. The other two escaped me, but there were there was a there was a fighter, uh, like a big bruiser fighter, right, right, a tactical fighter, and then sort sort of like the leader guy, the smart leader guy, and right. uh, so I, I kind of worked in those archetypes uh, to create the main uh, grouping, and then Sister Francine actually, I uh, came about because one after I did the first draft of the book, I realized that you know I didn't really have any good. Uh, dog boy adventures in there that weren't directly tied into the plot like as far as dog boy's journey through the plot and i kind of wanted to do a really fun adventure in there and so i i wrote the the scene uh, there's a scene uh, dog boy works at a magic shop called the old curiosity shop right and uh, one day when he's working uh sister francine from the guild comes in and and holds up the store basically. Yeah. And, and uh, so basically, I create I created Sister Francine as you know just a generic guild member, but actually I, I and I won't spoil it. Uh, but she actually ends up being a, a major factor in a decision Dog Boy makes about yep. uh, midway through the book. <laughs> to- yeah, pretty much, and it's, it, it 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 sort of uh, influences. This also brings up another question, especially on Dog Boy. Um, mm-hmm. Why throwing knives? Why throwing knives? I mean, beyond the fact they're cool, but I only say that because Mm -hmm. it's there's so many. uh, I mean, I guess it makes sense with a magic motif, but like there there are so many other thrown projectiles you could have used or or anything else, and especially when it when you finally get to the culmination of all everything at the end, Mm -hmm. the throwing knives almost seem kind of redundant useless <laughs> kind of sort of yeah. that's i think a proper way of saying it yeah so, and, and yeah they, i i don't take that negatively at all i completely understand what you're saying and if you get to the end of the book you'll understand what he's saying too. yeah exactly I'm, I'm 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 dancing around with with, mm-hmm. with with adverbs and pronouns and 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 other forms of language to confuse but yeah. regardless of that um i mean why, why didn't you pick something else like why was it was it there's some a connection to throwing out just because of the classic magic thing or was there was there some more ingrained like, well, I like this more the way project the way it is. I mean, you know, it it, well, it, does, it, it she doesn't use it personally, but 
anything else could have been used in that same accord, in my opinion. Well, I mean, yeah, a couple reasons. One, you're right. The, the it's the whole magic motif. The whole stage performer would use throwing knives in their act, kind of thing. So that would be what was in the trunk. But uh, in a, in another sense, not in a story sense, but just in a practical writing sense, it was really about find, finding something that had a really good image. Uh, for one, a really good image, you know, dog boy holding a knife, like you see back there, that's a really strong image. You know, he's a little boy holding a knife as a guy creeps up on him. Right. But in another sense, I knew it was a, a weapon that would be useful to a 13 year old. A 13 year old would have an idea of the repercussions, but they would probably still use it a little irresponsibly, which I thought was, you know, thematically what I was trying to do with the character being a kind of crappy superhero, but a 13-year-old good enough superhero. 13-year-old I thought that would be interesting. Well, that brings up kind of a, a point, because we mentioned earlier, I won't spoil what it is, but we mentioned that there is a, you know, both practical magic or, you know, real-life magic, and then there's real magic at certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, what inspired you at the uh, closer to the end of the book uh, to actually, or, or not closer to the end of the book, but essentially that idea, what inspired you to have to, because ultimately you could have made this character more of a Batman-esque figure. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about superheroes. We've got a lot of discussions on certain things and stuff like that. So why, and it's not like we didn't have already a good basis for a power or just yeah. that. Why did you feel the need to have to give him essentially a certain power? Um, I won't say what power is because I don't think it mentions. Well, the book. you you, you mean the main power that he gets uh, in chapter two? I yeah, I mean the power. The, the you, okay, spoiler alert. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, you can you can spoil. Spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't read the book, I apologize. Sorry, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Why give him the flash forward power? Why give him the power to essentially predict time? Uh yeah, and basically uh, he has the power to see a very limited amount into the immediate future. Yeah, like, like he's he's got he's got almost hero hero power. Like, like, you know, like it's, it's hero, what's the other one that had that in heroes? What's that? Who is the who's the guy that had the power to see like quickly in the midi, in the immediate future? Uh, I forgot who had that power in heroes. Oh, uh, well, did Peter Petrelli had the power to see? Yeah, Peter Petrelli did. Yeah. To the future, but yeah, yeah, Peter Petrelli did. <laughs> Yeah, but how how else uh, from a sorry I hit my microphone. Uh, but from a writer's <laughs> perspective, how else are you going to logically explain a thirteen-year-old getting one over on See, all that's sorts what of I professional thought. criminals? That's what, that's what I thought too, and I figured that that's the only way you could have done it. Mm-hmm. But I just was like, like there's, I mean, plus, plus uh, you know, he he gets the power from his dad, and I, I'm not going to say anything because there there are plans for. You know, a future story. Well, yeah, you, but, you, but you, uh, there you are re- the there are reasons his his dad had that very specific power to pass. Yeah, you left a couple things dangling at the end that were very purposely dangling. Like, ah, here comes the comic booky way of doing it. Um, but like, because I mean, ultimately, you're right. Like, how else we do it? And, and and all these kids seem to have that kind of thing. I mean, you have uh, and, your partner has spider spider sense or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. The idea of like, oh, something bad's happening. But it was it was such a weird thing. What I liked about it, about the actual power itself, um, and I'll word it this way, even though we're kind of in spoiler already, um, I liked that when he used it for personal gain, it hurt him. Mm-hmm. Like that, there was a, a physical reaction that was telling him, "No, you're doing it wrong." Mm-hmm. Uh, I really dug that uh, because it's such a it's 
I mean, because ultimately that's the question you're on. If, if he knows this, if he can do this power at, at will, so to speak, why not use it for personal gain? Why not do something cool? Why not, you know, kiss the girl or do whatever? And there's a point where he does it for personal gain, and he, you know, he, he, he has a, a he's, his nose is bleeding. He has a mm-hmm. physical reaction. He almost passes out, and and it, you know, and, and people think he's kind of weak, weak need. And it becomes apparent that oh, okay, he can only use it for good, uh, and he has to use it for good, or he has to use it in situations where it, it almost comes natural. Like was that purpose? I mean, I wasn't personal, but what made you go force that kind of thing? Was it just so he wouldn't use it for evil, or was there something more to it than that? No, I, I mean, definitely uh, it, it was from a thematic point to kind of, you know, teach the character the right lesson uh, as it went on. But I also thought, you know, in uh, the Osbert character is really the one that kind of spurs him on to kind of yep. try and force it and, you know, get get the power to work without – because initially it's more of just like an instinctual kind of like, yeah. oh, you turn your head away when you hear – have a bad smell in your face or something like that. Uh, it's more of something like that. And Osbert, Osbert is the one pushing him to, you know, test it and test it and test it. And, uh, you know, so, so one, it's a thematic thing. And two, I just thought that Osbert would be, you know, him being of kind of a logical, scientific, uh, intelligent mind would want to kind of try and force the issue and see exactly what Dog Boy could do and try and, you know, see how best to use his abilities to help the uh, Guild of Thieves. For sure, for sure. We're almost up, up on the hour mark, and I, I think that this would be a, a good stop point once we get to the hour mark. There is another theme that kind of comes in the book, and I, I think that as much as we talk about superheroes, as much as we talk about a lot of these sort of, you know, villains and, and, and things like that, one of the other themes that comes up a lot is family and kind of what that means. Uh, obviously, in terms of, of Dog Boy, you know, he has his father's magic kit. Um, we have a very evil uncle uh, character, uh, and we even have like some other things. Um, where did you draw that from? Was it from a personal kind of fam- idea of family to you, or was there something? Was it just because you're like, well, every superhero that seems to have every superhero has something with their family, either their parents die or mm-hmm. their, their their uncle dies, and and tells them, you know, the, the lasting quote they'll ever hear, which is, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it becomes the motif of the of the whole, you know, character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, with the whole family thing, I for, for one, I it, it, like I said, the original story uh, was created in a time in my life when I was moving out to the big city on my own for the first time away from family. <laughs> and so, you know, family was on my mind in the, when I was writing the original story. And then when I was rewriting it, you know, several years have passed and, you, you, you know, personally in my own life, I, I've had, I've had a bit of a falling out with my own family and I've, but I, at the same time over the court, at the same time I was having that falling out, I was also sort of, rebuilding a new family and picking my family. And they, that, that's something that kind, kind of a lesson I wanted to leave, leave at the end of the story. If, if, you know, there's a big lesson for dog boy and for the reader and stuff like that. Uh, what, one of the big ones is that, uh, you know, your family is who, who you make it and you can either choose to make your family good people or bad people. And, you know, blood really doesn't have a lot to do with it. It's more of a mindset. It's more of, uh, how how you approach approach it and how you treat people versus how they treat you and stuff that family isn't defined by blood it's defined by 
how you enter into a relationship with another. Yeah, it's defined by people who love you and that kind of thing. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, as our last and final question. And all that crap. All that that junk and stuff. Final question. Okay. You've written a book, Mm -hmm. which was originally a screenplay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, two questions. One, when's the sequel coming out? Okay. Let's put a date. Uh, now. Let's put a date. Put a put a hard date. A date. A date. <laughs> well, I I'm there won't be a sequel to the novel for probably at least a year. Okay. But the next the next Dog Boy adventure will oh. be available before the end of the year. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. We we we've already mm-hmm. already done that. Last final question. When the heck is this going to be a comic book? See. The thing about comic books uh, <laughs> is, you know, you can get the really like, nice I mean, drawings this, like this, but this they're so expensive. As a comic, like, you know, and, and, and I didn't mention this, but this is like beat for beat. Like, I could see the frames in my head, mm-hmm. and, and it was written in that way. Like, it was like, yeah, comic book here, comic book. Like, why, why wasn't this like a trade paperback, Bill? Like, could, why, where, where was my where was my my six issue spread? I, I would love for it to be a comic book. I would I, like when I when I saw Paul's artwork back here that I have back here on the wall. I, like my mind was blown. I was like, man, I wish I could afford to have him do you know a hundred page graphic novel or whatever. Well, on Dog well, Boy. but unfortunately, it's just you know the the economics of it don't work out yet. Well, <laughs> so. let's kick this into the stratosphere, Bill. Let's get you enough money to get this drawn. Where the heck can people go? And acquire this book. How how can I how can I say shut up and take my money, Bill? I want Dog Boy <laughs> to be a real comic. Well, I'll say uh, you know in my lower third, DogBoyAdventures.com. That's the main website. I do a weekly podcast where I put interviews like this and whatever else I feel like putting up related to the book up there. And there's also links to buy it on every platform imaginable: Kindle, Barnes and Noble, physical book, whatever. The physical book's really nice. I recommend it. You know, I don't make any more off it, you know, but uh, if you want to go and buy it on Amazon, which is where, you know, with the charts and everything really helps out, uh, you can just go to bit.ly slash dog boy book and you'll land right on the page to buy it. So. Simple, simple as, as all it can be. And I recommend it. Even if you're not a young adult audience, it's still a great book. If you are a young adult or know a couple of ones that are into that kind of, that are, you know, of the right age appropriate for this thing. It is written well. There isn't any curse words. It does get near the end. I will war- I will warn you. It does get a little graphic near the end, but a lot of it is is almost. Um, if I have to draw a parallel, uh, and if you read the end of Great Gatsby, and and you know how they didn't show anything of, of what happened in that in that book, it's kind of like that. Like there's never a point where they where where you have the gruesome description of whatever just happened. Uh, it's sort of left to your own imagination, which I think is always the better way of doing it. I would say that's the more uh, – that's actually the more terrifying way of doing it, to be honest, as a writer. Uh, Bill, thank you for – oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say and it, it's dark thematically too, but it would pa- pass through an obscenity filter just fine. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's no more brutal than, let's say, your first issues of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe different Spider-Man now and different Marvel comic thematic <laughs> now, but early thematic one, you know, your golden age comics, I'd say it's no more darker than that. There, there are a little bit more, you know, more modern, obviously things like that, but it's, it's, it's well age appropriate in my opinion and definitely well worth a read if, if you're in this one. Bill, thank you for letting me, you know, host this whole thing and, and do this. 
Thank you for um, reading my book and asking me questions about it. That's... Of course, sir. I, 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 I would dream of nothing better to do this. Uh, of course, if you'd like to check out more of my things for some bizarre reason, after you check out Bill's stuff, of course, uh, just go to my network website, CosmicRadio.tv. There you'll find pretty much all the podcasts I do and any other things on network, from things like Jump Point to Retro Fun Time to 8-Bit Life to any of the weird kind of geeky sort of in-depth stuff, especially if you like a lot of these in-depth interviews where I've, I've talked to people. I've had Bill on many times in my podcast, 8-Bit Life. Uh, I, I do a lot of different sort of stuff, so if you happen to like the style of things you've seen heard today in terms of interview style and, and all that kind of Jess, go check that out. Regardless of it, do read uh, Dog Boy and and the Den of Thieves. Um, it is, like I said, it's well, well worth a read. And I didn't know what to get into. I had no idea what I was getting into reading it and everything else. And I, I definitely dug it for sure. So definitely go check it out. Uh, but until then, uh, Bill, thanks again for letting me do this. Dog Boy, Den of Thieves by Bill Meeks. Available now on the Amazon Kindle, iBooks, at CreateSpace, or for the Barnes & Noble Nook. And find out more at dogboyadventures.com.